Support for this podcast is provided by SHL. From talent acquisition to talent management, SHL Solutions provide your organisation with the power and scale to build your business with the skilled, motivated and energised workforce you need. SHL takes the guesswork out of growing a talented team by helping you match the right people to the right moments with simplicity and speed. They equip recruiters and leaders with people insights at an organisation, team and individual level, accelerating growth, decision-making, talent mobility and inspiring an inclusive culture. To build a future where businesses thrive because their people thrive, visit shl.com to learn more. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 507 of the Recruiting Future podcast. We live in rapidly changing times, and it's increasingly difficult for employers to anticipate how the roles in their businesses will develop. An ageing workforce is a further complicating factor. The growing consensus is that a skills-based approach to early careers recruiting could give employers the flexibility they need to plan for the uncertain future. But how does skills-based hiring work in early careers? And how should employers develop their strategies in this area? My guest this week is Matt Kirk, solution owner, talent acquisition at SHL. Matt has a big focus on early careers and has some incredibly valuable insights to share based on SHL's pioneering work on skills, competencies and behaviours. Hi Matt and welcome to the podcast. Hi Matt, Uh, great to be here. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Please could you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? I can. Uh, So my name is Matt Kirk. I head up a number of solutions here at SHL, uh, in particular for today's topic, uh, early careers, which in my world is apprentices, interns and graduates. I've been in the assessment industry for around 20 years, uh, more years than I care to remember. Uh, And in that time, I've worked at uh, a number of different providers. I rejoined SHL in August of 2021 to head up some of the TA solutions. Fantastic stuff. And just tell us a little bit more about SHL and what they do now. Of course. SHL are the world leaders in people science. We assess between 40 and 45 million people each year. We have over 10,000 clients all around the world. And we collect billions of data points every year on on candidates and employees. Uh, We span the talent acquisition and talent talent management markets. uh, And ultimately, our vision is to bring the power of of objectivity to every people decision. Great stuff. So that kind of makes you the perfect person to answer this first question, which is, from your perspective, what's the current state of the global graduate recruitment market? Yeah, I probably sum this up quite well in in one word. Not a great answer, but we can expand on it. Um, Influx, I think, is is the perfect description for not just the graduate market, but but also the recruitment market in general. The the precedence of change is is unrivaled. And I think that's been brought on by a number of 
familiar foes, uh, the pandemic, the, the current economic situation that we have, and the change we're seeing uh, in the workplace and particularly around roles, what people need to do within those roles, uh, all of those have, have added to a, a host, whole host of uncertainty within the market. For grads in particular, uh, we're seeing that the, there's more people graduating than ever. And some regions are increasing graduate recruitment. Some regions are staying flat. So there's more graduates for the same, if not less, roles. So that's obviously having a knock-on effect in terms of, uh, of hiring fresh grads. Uh, and also graduates now, uh, I looked at some research recently that Cyril did, and they were saying that more graduates than previous years now plan to go straight into the workplace. I think that's an interesting topic and something we can we can talk about. But I think that's down to the cost of living. Yeah. Graduates are finishing university often with lots of debt. They're worried about the cost of living and previously, whereas they may have taken a year out or gone on to do a master's. I think more and more graduates now saying, do you know what? I, I need to get into the world of work. I need to start earning money. The final point for me was was I think organizations see graduates as the answer to the aging workforce. The, the number of people that will be leaving uh, the world of work, uh, taking with them their experience and their knowledge uh, is higher than ever. Roles are changing, but more importantly, organizations don't know what the future of those roles will be. Uh, and they see graduates as well-rounded individuals who potentially can plug those gaps. A lot of the conversations that I've had about graduate recruitment, college recruitment in the last year or so focus a lot on skills and skills-based hiring. In fact, a lot of the conversations I've had about any kind of recruitment focus on skills and skills-based hiring. I think it's probably important to really clarify what is meant by that. So can you explain what skills-based hiring means in this context? And I suppose particularly the differences between skills, behaviours and competencies. Of course, it's a hot topic. I speak. I have the fortunate pleasure of speaking to many, many clients around the world uh, who partner with us for their talent acquisition needs. And skills is a constant, constant that we hear in every conversation. For the listeners, the and, and to set the tone for, for for my answer, I think it's important to note from an SHL point of view, we measure two types of skills. We measure hard skills, which are coding, typing things that, that kind of physical people can do. And then the second version is the softer skills. And that's where we're seeing kind of huge interest and uptake in the market around skills-based hiring. So I uh, just wanted to, to kind of clarify the different types before I, I, I got to this point. So behaviors, in SHL's world, these are observable actions at work. So things that you can see people doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so Think about things like encourages other people to express their views or consults widely before determining actions. They're the, the kind of things that we can see on a day-to-day -day basis in individuals. Now, they are good. The challenge with using those for recruitment is there are hundreds, if not thousands of them. Um, so how do you identify the key ones that are important for roles? It's a difficult thing to do. What we then have next is, is soft skills, uh, and that is really made up of several behaviours. So if we think about the examples I gave uh, around expressing views and around asking for other people's perspectives, that would roll up into a skill like consulting others. 
Now, the good thing about skills is it takes hundreds and hundreds of behaviors and it narrows those down into, in SHL's world, 96 skills um, that are relevant for all roles within the organizations. So what we now have is a much more manageable number um, that organizations can help to use for recruitment and development. And what it does is it gives us a, a basis, a foundation, a single talent language that everybody can be assessed about. And then finally, if you took a range of skills and you combine them, typically that's where you get to, to the competency level. Historically, organizations have recruited at the competency level. And I don't think that competencies will go anywhere over, uh, over the near future or even, even the long distance future. I think the reason we're seeing such a, an uprising of, of interest around skills is because of the uncertainty of what roles will look like. Competencies are much more defined. If you, if you have a role and it's been the same for a number of years, reliably, you can say, okay, I'm happy to, to look at competency level because I know it's consistent. What we're seeing now is organizations have no idea, have no idea, it's probably strong, but organizations uh, are struggling to predict their talent needs over the next two years. So skills at the next level down below competencies gives us a broader view, a broad enough view that we can not only look at whether somebody is right for the role that they're coming into the business to do, but then also as that role changes or as the organization changes, is that person, does that person have the skills needed to be flexible enough to do something different within the organization? From what you've said there, then it kind of makes perfect sense that skills are what people are now looking for when it comes to hiring graduates. Is that why it's advantageous to do you skills-based hiring for graduates? Yeah, it's offering more flexibility competencies do. And and to be very, very clear, organizations will still recruit against competencies. That makes sense. And organizations will say, okay, I also want to look at skills or maybe a combination of the two. And, and that what is why I think there's additional value for organizations to be had. And, and to give you an example here, SHL's talent framework is, is called the Universal Competency Framework. Now, that measures 20 competencies and it measures 96 skills. And that is made up of hundreds and hundreds of behaviors. So if we take that example, obviously in a recruitment context, in any context, to be honest, um, we are not going to provide an individual or an organization with 96 scores against skills for each of those. Um, it, it's unmanageable. Uh, it's confusing. It's unnecessary. But what we can do by collecting more data is we can do a number of things. So SHL has identified 11 skills based on research um, that are predictors of success across all graduate roles. So at a recruitment stage, getting insight into those 11 skills is critical because uh, you know that it's a research model around predicting success. But what we've done by using the, by, by measuring the 96 is in the back end, we have scores on the remaining 85 skills so that when you onboard people, when you develop people, when you want to create a talent marketplace, you have a whole host of data on those individuals um, that you can repurpose uh, and look at at different points in time throughout the employee life cycle to look at career paths, to look at people who may be have the right skills to go and do a slightly different role or to, to, to be part of a team. So skills for me, that the big benefit that organizations will get from skills is 
that flexibility of being able to capture more data and then use it at different points throughout that life cycle. Is there a variation with graduate recruitment? Is there a variation between different countries and different industries? Absolutely. So SHL has recently conducted two studies around graduates. The context for this is we have our graduate JFA, which is the 11 uh, skills that I mentioned earlier on in the conversation. And we have looked at 20,000 responses from candidates all around the world and looked at how they've scored against those skills, looked at what are the top three skills and what are the top uh, the, the, the three skills that are likely to be areas for development. And it's brought up a number of things that, that I think people will find interesting. And for those listeners, um, there are two studies. There's lots, lots of the more data in this. I mean, obviously, we're going we're gonna to fly through this at the moment. But uh, if you go to shl.com, uh, click on the graduate page, you'll be able to download the white papers there. Um, and also, we've got some uh, upcoming webinars on on this subject, so you can register for those as well. So, looking at, at, at regions, firstly, so we've we've looked at the global profile. So, what are the top three, and what are the, the top three strengths and top three areas for development? Um, and actually, in strengths in particular, we see a lot of consistency across different regions around the world. So, takes responsibility, coping with setbacks and criticism and adapt to change are consistent across all of the regions bar one, uh, which I'll come on to. That in itself is very, very interesting. If, if you looked in the media over the last couple of years, um, I've seen the unfortunate term snowflake flashed around when talking about graduates. But actually what the, what the objective data is telling us is actually adapting to change and coping with setbacks are real, real strengths for these for this cohort. So, uh, again, for those who are worried about um, bringing graduates into the business, thinking they might not be resilient, actually our data says opposite. The one difference we see is is around Africa, um, and we see there uh, adapts to change uh, isn't one of the strengths there, but it's replaced with works to high-quality standards. So very, very consistent, um, very little difference. We do start to see a bit uh, a bit more of difference in, in the areas of, the areas for development. So um, again, global profile looks as analyzes information, strives to achieve, and uses time efficiently. So they're the the, the three globally that we see when we look at all twenty thousand plus sets of of candidate completions. They're the ones that are most commonly seen as as weaknesses. Um, we see differences in Africa, Americas, Europe. Uh, and Oceana uh, around the areas for development. Um, but again, reasonably minor. It's fairly consistent. Um, and without uh, going into all the details, as I say, pe- people can kind of download the, the white papers and, and have a look for themselves. But it, it's interesting, and, and it starts to become more interesting when we think about, okay, well, what does this mean? What are the implications for hiring graduates in these different regions? If you're looking for adapting to change for example in africa and it's not a strength uh, what does that mean for your applicant pool how could you measure that as part of the recruitment process we've then taken it a step further and said okay well the regions is really interesting i wonder how that differs by by industry so we've taken the same set 
of uh, 20,000 completions. We've looked at nine industries within that data, and we've identified the areas for strength and areas for development. And we see the same pattern again, really. Areas of strength, very consistent across all of the industries um, and with a few with a few minor differences. One would be consulting. Uh, we have adapts to change, falls out, and works to high-quality standards, takes its place. And then we start to see some more differences around areas for, for development, particularly around automotive, consulting, government and public sector. Um, interestingly enough, government and public sector one of the areas for development which is unique, which we didn't find in any of the other industries, was generating new ideas. Going back to earlier in the conversation when we were talking, you mentioned the the cost of living crisis and how that was affecting when you know new graduates choose to enter the the workforce. Broadening that out slightly, what does work life balance mean to the young people who are entering the workforce right now? It's in their top five of wants from employers. So having a work-life balance and, and the research we, you, you talked about there in terms of if we think back to that, when grads now coming into the workplace due to what I believe would be partly related, if not fully related to the to the cost of um, cost of living, I think this is the same same view but based on the output of the pandemic. Candidates or graduates had a strange, unique time during that period where they faced challenges none of the generations before them have, have had in the same way. And the work-life balance has become more and more important. And, and I think that's true broadly, not just for graduates. I think people are now saying, okay, it's important to me. It's not just about 70-hour weeks, um, me working myself and, and having no life outside that. I want that balance. And organizations who don't provide that balance are likely to struggle to attract but also retain the talented people within their organization. That makes perfect sense. And I suppose pulling the skills-based hiring and the, the work-life balance and people's expectations of the workforce in 2023, how can employers offer an appropriate candidate experience to this sort of cohort of people when they're, when they're recruiting them? It's probably my favorite subject. I, th I think there's a number of things that organizations can do to help engage talent. And the first thing I would start with is communication. If, if you look at things like Wikijobs, Glassdoor, those types of, of, of uh, websites, you'll see often that communication is one of the things that candidates complain the most about, whether it's I didn't hear back or I didn't know what was happening or I don't, I don't know what the next stage in the process is. And, and I think with technology, that's quite an easy thing to fix. We've done some, we, we conducted towards probably the end of 2022, we did a, a candidate feedback survey um, and we asked a whole range of questions. Um, one of the things was, uh, what, what what's the most important thing for you as part of the, the recruitment process? And one of the answers was, I want to understand what's happening. I want to understand what the process is. I want to understand why, for example, I'm being asked to do an assessment. And I want to understand what's then done with that assessment output. So uh, how do you make decisions based on it? So I think communication for me, letting people know what you're doing, why you're doing it, 
I also think making it a two-way process will increase candidate engagement tenfold. So whatever the outcome, whether a candidate is successful or not in getting the role, everybody should benefit from the process. Some of the ways that candidates could benefit, um, I mean, they're getting insights potentially into the organization and the role itself. So, so they're learning about whether they're the, that's the right organization for them. Um, I think also offering, when assessments are used, development advice and strength-based feedback is a must. So again, one of the survey results, uh, the vast majority of candidates took the survey said they were very happy to do assessments. And actually, in fact, they felt like it gave them the opportunity to demonstrate their skills in a, in a fairer way, but they wanted to get something out of it. Uh, and that, again, with technology, is reasonably easy to do. Um, so here at SHL, we offer personalized video feedback for all candidates. So everybody who completes, whether you're successful or not, they will get a video addressing them and their strengths so that they get something out of the process. Um, and, and the last thing I would say is, is just make it engaging. Talk to them about, show them a video of, of, of last year's graduate talking about their experience. I, I think there's often a case for a lot of organizations where it's very corporate. Uh, and actually for, for, for this generation, that may not always be the best approach. So think about your audience, make it engaging, make it a two-way process, and just be open with the, with the communication. And as a final question, and, and really sort of picking up on your comments about technology there, what does the future of graduate recruitment look like? And you know, how is technology likely to change things further in the future? Yeah, I think the reality is we're at the start of the new norm now, uh, and the new norm is probably constant change <laughs> with everything that's going on in the world the, the reality is we're, we're probably in in this situation for, for for the next two to three years i would say at least um and actually technology will drive the innovations in that time so shl have launched shl labs um which we have committed 30 million dollars over the next three years to innovation in this space uh, and they're looking at things like how AI can be incorporated into it, uh, assessment experiences, a whole host of kind of things in, in that space. What we then get is now things like chat GPT. Um, what does that mean for the future of, gra of graduate hiring? Um, how do we make sure that it's being used in the right way? Um, so I, th I think technology ultimately is going to drive forward the innovations in the assessment market. Um, and that will be, uh, it will be certainly be a very interesting space to be in. Data has become the, num the number one thing we get asked for organizations now, uh, clients that we partner with, that we didn't simply didn't get asked for anywhere near as much is, is give us as much data as we can about these people so that we can use it in different ways. They can get the best out of it from a, from a, from a candidate or an employee point of view and organizations can, can make the right people decisions based off it. And lastly, you mentioned the website there where people could look at the research. Remind us of that website and where else can people find out more about the, the insights that SHL has around graduate recruitment? Yeah, so at, at shl.com, um, there is a solutions tab on the website. If you click on that, pick graduate, you will see um, the white papers on there. Uh, follow us on LinkedIn as well. Uh, we publish an awful lot of research to say we are getting billions of data points across 40, 45 million candidates every year. 
we're re- using that research to help predict future trends as well as uh, identify uh, trends within the data itself. So follow us on LinkedIn, visit the website regularly. We're constantly updating it. There's always some new research that, that people can digest. Matt, thank you very much for talking to me. Thanks, Matt. My thanks to Matt. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter, Recruiting Future Feast, and get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.